stone. There are uh, several relish poems and dangers. One uh, of the of the dangers is actually beginning to practice in and of itself. But then we allow unwholesome thoughts to creep in, and those unwholesome thoughts are what's next? <laughs> Where do we go from here? Or whatever like that. And so that actually is not an indication of making the next step. It's actually a step backwards in the unwholesome thought. Hmm. That um, this is uh, quite, let us say, a remarkable practice or a uh, uh, un counterintuitive practice because our intuitions or our uh, instincts is for more and more and more mm -hmm. uh, ill will. So uh, we are here to practice instead is the practice of becoming satisfied. Mm -hmm. And whenever thoughts that are dissatisfied, like what do we do next, or I'm not sure about that, begin to understand that these are um, unwholesome thoughts in the sense of wanting something or of doubts, restlessness, worries, that kind of stuff. Uh, the students are, let us say, when they begin, they, they know the concept of wholesome thoughts. But now we're actually in to try to beginning to inspect the whole. Thing. We find out thoughts like well, what's next and where do we go? That takes us out of the present moment. It takes us wanting to the future, wanting something that we don't have. Um, another danger that happens is, is that the students do get um, successful at it, and then they stop <laughs> because they think that they've gotten it all. And when that happens, then uh, the hindrances uh, that they used to be watching for and had gotten rid of and become successful at it. Now the hindrances are coming in and they're not even watching because they're not practicing. Mm -hmm. There is the need for uh, most uh, beginners. And I would say right along. I don't know of a time when it's not useful, valuable, and wholesome to continue to monitor the thoughts. Just make sure that they're wholesome. Mm -hmm. And so we want to develop the skill of, of monitoring those thoughts, uh, of watching what's going on, of uh, applying the mind to the wholesome and sustaining it to the person. And in order to do that, we actually need to have uh, a formal practice because the, the, the practice is not well established enough. Basically, um, uh, a very good practice to use would be to have a formal setting practice every uh, let us call it so often uh, in the example, and then begin to put uh, some gap or put some um, 
some momentary practices between those times in the gaps. But if you don't have any formal session time, then we're not actually practicing. And so what I would suggest rather than having long formal sitting practices because the mind actually gets tired and much of the longer sessions um, are not useful, but they're actually quite useful up about 10 to 20 minutes. So I wouldn't recommend sitting longer than 20 minutes, but I would recommend sitting formally with intention to sit down, to stop what you're doing, and to practice four, five, six times a day. So six, six times a day at 10 minutes, waking up in the morning and doing it in bed before you get up. When you go to sleep at night, getting in bed, doing that's another 10 minutes. Okay, so we can find 10 minutes at lunch. There's also some other practices that you can put in that will even um, increase that frequency. But this is the beginning that we actually want to develop that time so that we can, uh, it's actually part of the memory system. We're, we're building up a memory system that while I'm doing it, I'm actually watching the breath, every in-breath, every out-breath. And then when I'm not doing it, I remember that, oh, I'm gonna do it in 10 or 15 minutes. And then I begin to say, oh, in 10 or 15 minutes, I can start now mm. and take a few breaths now. But uh, that formal sitting practice actually has a value to it. And I use the word formal only because that's commonly used. Mm. And it depends upon how formal you want to get. And um, uh, some people get really, really formal. I've seen on Reddit many photos of people set up a home shrine. This is not the kind of formality that we're talking about. However, those shrines do have an advantage. You know what that advantage is? Every time the person walks in the room and sees that shrine, they remember. And that's what the practice is really all about, is finding little things that are going to trigger that memory to remember, to start watching the breath, to remember to uh, take in long, deep, easy, comfortable breaths, and to breathe out long, uh, purifying out breaths. So over and over and over again, we're developing the skill of sati. Because the skill of sati, we want to have it there when we need it most, when we're most likely to forget it. <laughs> it's the most. That's why we're wanting to practice it so that we can build it up uh, and it will become available at those points in time when we need it most. Then, in fact, I often talk about it in the sense of Murphy's Law. Do you know what Murphy's Law is? Everything that will go wrong will go wrong. Is that Murphy's Law? That's half. Mm -hmm. That, in fact, is the common half that misses the point. Oh. <laughs> Second half of Murphy's Law will fully stated anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it will go wrong at the worst possible. <laughs> that 
what the whole thing is about, which means that engineers, when they get under pressure, that's when they're most likely to put a plug-in upside down. That's why we now make our plug-in so that they can't put, be put in upside down. Okay. In the old days, you could put up, if you pushed it in there, you could get that hard drive to have five volts at 12 and 12 volts at five, and you just lost that hard drive. So uh, this is the whole point about Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, but when it will go wrong, it's not under test procedures. It's under the real life strain. Uh, one of the examples is uh, a new hotel is built. It's got a thousand rooms and they buy a big fancy supercomputer with kid uh, system uh, that will handle that thousand rooms. When is that computer system going to fail? They're going to fail on spinning night. They're going to fail under normal conditions. They're going to fail when the when the hotel is completely full. Mm -hmm. Well, that's when the, uh, the computer is under the most strain. Is when the when the hotel is completely full. That's mm -hmm. when it's going to fail. Just when they need the computer <laughs> most, when the hotel is full, that's when it fails. Okay. Mm -hmm. An example uh, of that would be. When do you need Sati most? Well, the kinds of times that you need Sati most is when you're late for an appointment, when you're getting stopped by the cops, when you've lost something. These are the times that we need Sati the most, but we don't likely have it if we don't even remember it when we're uh, just doing ordinary things, then we're unlikely to remember it when we need it the most because we're under pressure. Okay, things go wrong at the worst possible time. So this is why we want to actually practice this sati to get it up and going. And many people say, okay, well, I can do it. Now what? Well, that I can do it is a good wholesome thought. Now what is an unwholesome thought? A more wholesome thought would be, yeah, I can do it. Watch, I'll keep doing it. Okay, so this is the way that we begin to understand things is, is that it's not so much that there is um, progress in uh, the practice, but rather that um, what will happen is that we begin to see things that we didn't see before. And that this is basically what the practice really is, is to get ourselves into the kind of state, mental state that's wholesome enough that we can really see things clearly. Mm -hmm. And when we do, we can. But in the ordinary state of mind that people have been in for their whole lives, they keep making mistakes and doing things wrong because they're not clearly watching. And so that's the stuff that begins to change is when we begin to change the thought patterns and get the mind into wholesome states, some remarkable results happen. One is, is that people begin to understand they are not who they thought they were. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
that we have in fact um, all along kind of had an idea of who we were based upon basically the past. I did that, therefore that is now who I am. Mm. But if you don't do that anymore, then you're not <laughs> doing that. You're not that. And so uh, we begin to recognize that personality is fluid. That we're not bound to the rules that we were bound to because of our ignorance in the past. That we're not bound to the rules that we're bound to when we were bound to them by greed. We're not bound to the rules mm -hmm. that we were bound to when we were bound to them by ill will. Mm -hmm. Okay, so because we're no longer living in delusion, we're no longer living in ill will or greed because we're in a very, very good state, really watching what's going on. The delusions are gone. Now we begin to see things. This is actually why it's called insight meditation. Mm -hmm is because we can see things, but most people are practicing insight meditation without having cleaned out the hindrances, and so their insights are um, short-sighted rather than really long, long-term. So uh, an example of that is that they can really see into the nature of dukkha. They really know dukkha, but they don't know getting out of dukkha. <laughs> so, this is a way of beginning to practice now is the practice is to get ourselves into a good state and maintain that state. And if you get yourself into a good state and then say, OK, what next? That <laughs> said, it's not as good as it um, could be in the sense of the attitude, because the attitude could be now that I've gotten mind in a good state, let's enjoy it. Here it is. Mm -hmm. And that gives us an opportunity now to investigate the things that are worthy of investigation. And so what is worthy of investigation, the Buddha is actually quite clear on it. It's in more than one sutta, but sutta number 111 is very clear that it goes uh, through the, the process uh, like this. And that is, is that number one thing is, is that the mind has to be secluded from uh, wanting things, from desire, and it has to be free from all unwholesome states. This is the beginning of the practice. Once one is there, now we can talk ourselves into the first jhana. And once we're into the first jhana, now we have only wholesome things to look at. <laughs> So what are we going to look at? We're going to look at the mind. Can I apply the mind? Can I sustain it in wholesome thoughts? Also, uh, how is that gladdening? Am I gladdening the mind? How am I feeling? Do I feel safe? Do I feel secure? Do I feel comfortable? Do I feel confident? Do I feel successful? These are actually now looking at the various jhana factors, and we can also look at the jhana factors in the sense of how we got there with the Eightfold Noble Path. How is my sati? Is my sati sharp? How is my right effort? Is my effort correct? So we begin to evaluate, we begin to look. How is my attitude? 
And by asking those questions, we actually bring those qualities up. We pay attention to them. And we get in touch with them. So by doing that, we uh, can begin to see that these old unwholesome thoughts are just out of the past. That's not who I am. That all, everything is, is bright, everything is new, everything is clear. And there's no reason to go back into the past at all. That the past is in fact not who I am. This is a bigger, most important point. This is in fact the very first fetter that the Buddha talks about. The, there are 10 fetters all together and as one removes the fetters, they move further and further up the ladder. But these fetters that we're talking about it, are done through insight into the nature of the mind. Now this insight into the nature of the mind only happens by observing, by applying the mind and keeping it focused on the wholesome things that are there now, including the realization that I am not the past. Because when I bring the past in, things start falling apart again. <laughs> mm -hmm. But right now, I am not the past. I am not who I thought I was. Also, what we begin to see is that we've got choices. That we, can, we, all, we have the choice. Are we going to be in a good state or not? <laughs> when people start beginning to practice, they do not know that they have this choice. They are living according to their actions and reactions. They're living according to their habits. They're living according to their past. But when we start having more and more time in the present moment and recognize that I can avoid that past. I can see it coming and I can push it out of the way and maintain the wholesome. When we do that, we also begin to gain the attitude that I can change. That I'm mm -hmm. the king here. <laughs> I'm the emperor of this pile of dirt. Mm -hmm. All right, so this is the insight that begins to come and our attitude uh, increases. Our attitude grows through the insights. The insights of I'm not who I was, the insights of um, I can change, and also then the insight that is the eradication of the doubt. But the, the insights come in the sense of I've got this. The insights come in the form of uh, this is the right practice. I have found what I needed. That in fact, the, uh, uh, the end of it all is certain. That we can get right to the end of this, that that's what the confidence grows to. It grows to the point that we know that there is an end to this stuff and that we'll reach the end of it. No more unwholesome thoughts. Okay, so this is a way of um, uh, of practicing that we keep practicing in the sense always of making sure that the thoughts are not going to be unwholesome. And so along the way there, we get that attitude, the but the growing or the budding attitude. Is, is that no matter how obstructed the mind gets, I can clean it out. 
but we have to go through those kind of times when we uh, get to the point of being able to watch the breath and then they say what's next and then recognize oh, that thought is an unwholesome thought. That's a doubt. That's a curiosity. That's a worry. Let's just keep investigating and keep looking without really asking questions in uh, uh, in a certain way and ask questions only in a, in a certain way, like how is it or what's the quality of it or, or uh, what's going on right now? This would be the kind of questions that would ask, but questions that have to do with the past and the future mm -hmm. then be some questions. Like what's next? Mm -hmm. And so what we do is, is that when we're in the normal state of mind, when anything new happens, we react to it out of the same reaction patterns that we have reacted to other things in the past. But when we are present in this moment and see actually what's going on, then we have an ability now to respond. So this is the difference between responding and reacting. Reacting is what we normally do, when in fact the choice would be to respond instead. And often the response is to do nothing. That's the response. Very rarely the reaction is to do nothing. Almost always the reaction is to go do something. Why? Because we are in the habit of going and doing something. We're in the habit of reacting. And that's an interesting word, react, because it just means the same actions over and over. <laughs> so this is the way that we practice now. We're going to practice in the sense of setting aside several times a day, four, five or six times a day. Put it as part of your routine so that it's easy to remember. An example of that would be at lunch. That as soon as lunch times happens, instead of getting up and going to lunch, you can sit at your desk for 10 minutes. It's summer break for me, so I don't have a routine really. Pardon? I'm in summer break. I don't have a routine necessarily. Well, in the summer break, then you can practice doing it all the time. What I'm looking at is on a regular daily basis to find a way of um, getting oneself on a regular basis throughout the day, getting oneself back into that state of everything is okay, everything is fine, this is it, this is good enough. Get ourselves into the state of success, into the state of satisfaction, into the state of wholeness. We practice that often. And we want to practice being able to sustain that rather than using that as a ticket to go someplace else. We want to sustain it. We want to keep it growing. So this is the way of practicing. And then you did have that question, which we have already touched on, and that is, is that, well, what do you do when you're in that state? The answer is continue to investigate, <laughs> to, to note, watch what's going on. 
Watch the kind of thoughts that we have. Make sure that these are only wholesome thoughts. Make sure that you're feeling really good. As I breathe in, I feel good. And as I breathe out, I relax. We practice that over and over again with that as the only. It's not really a goal because you're actually doing it. And we kind of remove having goals because goals are always set by people who want that goal and they don't have it. It's like wanting is already presupposed and you don't have it. Right. Wanting things we don't have is the Buddhist classical definition of uh, dukkha. And so we need to practice getting into a state and maintaining the state of not wanting anything. That's what we mean by wholesome. And while we're there, we can do an enormous amount of investigation based upon what's wholesome there, learning to stay out of the unwholesome, which means learning to stay out of the past, learning to stay out of the future, learning to be here now and in the process you begin to recognize I am not what I thought I was. I thought I was that which was in the past and now I recognize I'm not that. And that is in fact the very first major insight. That's the first better. They call it personality view. And basically what personality view that, ha that people have is oh, that's just me. We hear it in our language in the sense that the tiger cannot change his spots, that the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, John's just John or uh, good old boys. Okay, they boys will be boys. Right? This is what we're talking about. This is the entire civilization's attitude that once someone grows up, that their personality is more or less set. And this is not the case. It's only set because we're following the pattern <laughs> of habit. And so and one of the ways that you could say it then is, is that destiny is nothing but habits. Okay, and we can see that also built into the language. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword and other things like that. OK, which shows that we get ourselves into a certain habit pattern and that becomes our destiny. That becomes our providence. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you keep if you start going north and you can keep continue, keep going north, you will wind up at the North Pole. That's just how things are. Right. And so no. that's what we mean by destiny, which is different from free will. And that there's a big argument in ordinary society between destiny and free will, and then you don't even understand what they're talking about. That destiny is nothing but our habits. And so if we want to break the destiny, we can break our habits. But people who are bound by their habits are bound by destiny and have no free will. Those those who are able to break out of that and come into the present moment and make that change, we now can say that they have free will, but that free will did not come freely. It came at a cost. 
in that regard, we can say that it actually is this distinction between destiny and expensive will, that there's no such thing as free will. <laughs> because free will would be freely following our destiny, which would be now <laughs> destiny, not free will. <laughs> but if we take the right effort, to come out of the destiny, to come out of the habits, to make a change, to figure out I am not who I thought I was. I am not in the past. I am not who I thought I was. But, but whatever I am now, we don't know because it's so complicated. It is, let us say that you could take an inventory. Sit down and write an inventory. Everything about you. By the time that you get to the end of writing that inventory, you've changed. <laughs> you say, wait a minute, I got to scratch that item out, and then you throw the whole thing out because you're constantly flux. When we recognize that we're constantly in motion, constant flux, mm -hmm. and that the only thing that really defined us in the first place was our habits. And when we come out of our habits, then who we are is ill defined. <laughs> And that's marvelous to recognize that you're not fixed. You're not um, a certain kind of way. And that, in fact, if we take this to its logical, a disastrous conclusion, <laughs> this idea of um, a permanent self is what people get the idea of being reborn. In the sense that after you die, God's going to put you in heaven or hell based upon <laughs> But we don't know what a soul is, but it's always based upon past and and, uh, and that kind of thing. But if you start to change, then God's going to get confused. He thought you were a bad guy and now you're a good guy. He didn't know what to do with that. If he's dwelling in the past, but something tells me that whatever God is, it's in the here now, it's not past. And it's not future, but it's the way things are right now. And so if things are the way that they are right now and we recognize that, that means that we're not in personality. Personality is rigid. Mm -hmm. So coming out of our personality is in fact the right process to do. Why? Because personality is defined by the past and we're not following the habits of the past anymore. And we can see that. And so we don't need to get philosophical at all about it. <laughs> this is very, very practical. But we can also see that many people who get stuck on and thinking that there is a permanent self, they then have the the, uh, the wrong belief that they can't change because the personality is set. And because they can't change and the personality is set, the best they can do is to make merit and hope that they can get a better self next life. <laughs> Instead of recognizing, hey, man, you can change that right now. <coughs> so this is basically the answer to your original question of now that you've gotten the breathing, what do you do next? The answer is stop.
thinking about doing next, <laughs> enjoying what you're doing now. So I think that we've got this point pretty well covered. So do you have any questions about it? No, I'm good. Not really, okay. Well, let's, let's uh, recap then, and that is one, we want to get a regular sitting practice going so that we can begin to fill in the gaps because what we're looking at is practicing more and more often not practicing deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> not asking what's next, but just stay with what is. And we want to do that more and more of the day, which means that we want to uh, to fill in the gaps so that uh, at almost any moment when we need sati, it'll be there for us. So do you recommend scheduling it then? Just for the beginning at least? Yes, I would recommend the the way that I'm saying it, okay, for you to schedule it would be like lunchtime, break, when you get off work, maybe um, uh, in the morning when you wake up, at bed when you go to night uh, to sleep. sleep. Those are the kinds of things that we have as scheduled. And notice I haven't na named numbers like a particular time of day. Uh -huh but rather schedule our practice around events rather than timings. Okay, so the event of waking up in the morning, the event of going to sleep at night, the event of uh, uh, having time off from work, the event of having morning break, those are the kinds of things that we want to use as anchors to help us to remember when to do it. And then later we'll add some more. We're not doing <laughs> But let's get it started so that we can have this uh, kind of formal, informal practice merging together. Not, not the kind. Okay. All right. So let's finish up now and you go practice and I'll talk to you in a several days. Thank you. Okay. Excellent. We'll see you soon. Yeah.